This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Hi, and welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Our special guest today, all the way from Utah, right? Matt, Utah, Matt Holt. Yep, mountains of Utah, yep. Purple Mountain Majesty. The first time I flew over Utah and I saw those purple mountains, like that whole saying kind of made sense to me. It was like mind-blowing, actually. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. So, Matt, how are you doing? Everything's good? Yeah, good. Keeping busy. <laughs> Lots to do. All right, so this is a podcast about you. And we're going to jump into the time machine, and we're going we're gonna to have a fun conversation. But before we do that, for those, uh, those few people who don't know who you are, why don't you give everybody a, a couple of minutes of kind of uh, what you're doing today. Just focus on like what you're doing right now today. Yeah, so uh, right now I maintain the Caddy web server full-time. Uh, so that's a web server I wrote in Go uh, back in like 2014, launched it in 2015. Uh, it uses the Go standard library and um, it it was just kind of a, a scratching my own itch for for a need there of a, of a new kind of web server. And a lot of people started using it, which was cool, but it kept me really busy. And I was finishing my undergrad, um, undergraduate degree in computer science at the time. And so anyway, uh, as it continued to grow and be used by not just individuals, but also companies, um, the project kind of outgrew its initial design. And so I, um, I actually rewrote it while I was in graduate school uh, and made V2 of Caddy, um, which you're very familiar with, and we can maybe talk about that in a bit. And um, and so now I maintain Caddy uh, full-time for the probably, I honestly have no idea how many people are using it. I'm guessing it's in the tens of thousands of users based on like GitHub stars, including several companies uh, that I know of, and probably a lot I don't know of. So, and that is purely through sponsorships, open source sponsorships. So yeah, I'm working on the Caddy web server and related projects and infrastructure. All right, so we're going to get back to all of that near the end of the podcast because what I want to do right now is jump in that time machine and get you all the way back and ask you my favorite question, which is what is your, one of your very first memories of working on a computer? It could be anything. You were gaming, you were having fun, but... And try to get a sense of how old you were and what, maybe what year it was. Yeah, first memory. I mean, I was probably, what, four or something. I, my grandma's DOS computer. <laughs> I think I remember playing some little dinky games back in the day. Like, uh, I don't even remember. Was it DOS 6 or Windows 3.1? Somewhere in there. I remember playing, like, Commander Keen and some other games, Scorched Earth. <laughs> yeah. Now that's so you're saying you're four years old, but what I find interesting there is you're on your grandmother's computer. So yeah. I think this is the first time we've had a guest where their first memory is not some computer that mom or dad or, you know, some adult in, the, in their house brought. Like this is grandma's house, right? I guess grandma's computer. So what is grandma doing with a computer? We were too busy <laughs> on the farm. 
Um, I don't think, I don't know if I got to use my parents' computer until later. All right, so what, what year do you think we're talking about when you're around, right, you know what's a good question? Like, when did you graduate high school? That, that's usually a good yeah, foundational. 2008. All right, 2008, you graduated high school. So, all right, and usually about 17 or 18 then. So, all right, so we're talking about uh, takeaway. So in the early 90s or something, you're doing that. What I'm really interested in is your grandmother had a computer. So was she using it for the farm? Was she using it for business? I think solitaire. <laughs> so she decided solitaire. Yeah. I remember that solitaire game on the Windows 3.1 where the cards would bounce when you won or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah that was exciting. That was exciting animation. <laughs> All right, so you said you had a computer at home, but you don't remember really being able to touch it until you got much older. So what's up with that? I don't remember using my parents' computer, yeah, until I was older. Um, maybe when the internet started coming out, I think it was like AOL. My dad used AOL for business email and and we had dial-up internet all the way until about 2004, until I was in high school, yeah. And then we had satellite internet because in Iowa, in the middle of nowhere, kind of, we weren't even that far from town. We were like five minutes from town, but the satellite internet was terrible. I remember one or two second ping times was the norm and it was like 120 kilobits, maybe, maybe 200 kilobits. So you grew up in Iowa. So you yeah. grew up in Iowa. Okay. So your family's business was, was farming. What, what, was, what were you doing on the farm? Was it livestock? Or was it corn, soybean? Uh, yeah. So we, by the time I was born, um, we had mostly horses. We were boarding horses. So we had a stable. I would take care of the horses and ponies and donkey all the time. Like, uh, so we had animals. We leased out our, our fields to other farmers and... I really enjoyed the farm life. My dad ran a kind of a, he, a mix of like a battery business, kind of the local, the local battery store and um, also service like whirlpools and stuff. So it's kind of a mix of things. Car batteries in terms of battery All or sorts of batteries, everything from little button batteries to like tractors and boats and stuff, industrial things. So a battery store back, uh, was it a busy store? Like people needed... He saw a need for batteries in at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's the only specialized battery service center in the whole city. Now I'm just curious, are those businesses still around? Are, are you still farming? Yeah, so he's retired now. My parents are retired, so they sold the farm, sold the, the company. And I mean, it's that's kind of a bummer because it's like, well, what if I wanted to go back and live there? But uh, it's fine. <laughs> so, and they're still in Iowa? No, they actually moved out here to be closer to us. So let's get back to, uh, I want to kind of jump ahead a little bit into high school because it sounds like you enjoyed the farm, you enjoyed the farming lifestyle from what I'm hearing. Were you thinking at that point going into high school that this was going to be a farm that you were going to be running? I thought about it. Um, I enjoyed farm life for the most part. I thought it'd be neat to experience, like, what if I had the amenities of, like, city life or suburb life? Um and decent internet where every time it snowed, I didn't have to get on the roof and brush off our satellite dish and get the snow off. I don't know, I dreamed of like a more convenient life, but I have to admit, I really missed the farm life. What was it about the just being outside with nature or? Yeah, just working with other living things, animals that depend on you and just, uh, I, I miss, in a way, I miss waking up at 5 a.m. to do the chores and, and feeding the horses and, and just, 
I don't know. It was good, like good labor, good work. It taught me to work hard. Do you still wake? I can't wake up at five in the morning. Those animals would be dead, dude. That's, I don't do that I'm anymore. not a morning College, person. <laughs> so when you're getting into high school, what year is it then? So you, you said you graduated 2004. So about 2000. Okay. So are you doing anything with computers in high school? What is your, like by, by the time you're a freshman or sophomore in high school? What are all the things that you're doing? Or is it solely the farm? Are you playing sports? Are you doing music? Are you? Um, yeah, I was in orchestra and played the cello. Still play it occasionally. I was yeah working the farm, of course, and I didn't have a lot of friends or live around people, so a lot of my time was self-occupied, either outside or on the computer. So I aced my keyboarding class. I was really proud of that for some reason. <laughs> Um, I was programming in PHP at that time. I remember I had picked up, or somehow I'd received a book. It was called PHP and MySQL Web Development. And it was by Luke Welling and Laura Thompson. And that book thing really got me into, into programming um, like web applications. Uh, I had also learned some C and Visual Basic. Those were kind of my starting languages, those three. And, um, or like, actually before that, I remember being like, actually, I remember when I was like eight, making my first web page with HTML and Microsoft front page. And then I learned JavaScript a little bit, like back when those like DHTML sites were popular. So those were all kind of my intro things. I remember writing QBasic when I was like also about that age, like nine or 10 or anyways. Yeah. So just a lot of random little programming stuff. Did you publish any of those websites? Did you publish any of the? I still have them actually. They were on a floppy disk for the longest time. And I and then in, in like high school, I converted them to CDs. And then in college, I finally wrote them to a disc. Um, so now they're part of my like permanent archive. Wow. And did you ever try to like launch it again? Yeah. The marquee tag still works. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. How much backwards compatibility was there? <laughs> Amazingly, the, the page still runs. Um, looks terrible, but look. What was the page about? What was it? What was this? What page about? What's the kind? My first web page, it was just a little like about me. Here's some pictures and books I like and things I like to do. No, but that got published. You, you were able to, did you host that or was it, you just maintained it privately? No, no, that was, no, the internet was scary and, and also really hard to access. Like, so no. <laughs> um, the PHP book that you pick up, that's in high school. Um, I suppose so. It might have been a little before high school because I remember by the time I was in high school, I was already writing PHP um, applications. I've written, I wrote dozens of them, just miscellaneous kind of random things um, with databases and stuff. And I learned just a lot of bad programming practices, but I was able to like, I don't know, it was, it was good experience. I was able to save up some money that way. But you're doing that on your own. You're not necessarily getting um, classes or from high school. This is all like self-study. And what do you mean? You started you started getting money for doing some of this work? Uh, yeah. High schools in, in Iowa don't teach tech stuff, or they didn't at the time. I got paid for a few little like contracts, like development work, just kind of here and there, freelance stuff. And then I sold a couple of sites that I made early on, just like little dinky things. How are people finding you? They're they're finding you like in town. We're talking about the local printer or the local bulletin boards and forums, nothing local. Yeah. I mean, nothing local. I think just being engaged in some online communities, 
remind me uh, later as we get down the timeline here to more recent, uh, remind me to come back to that book that I mentioned about PHP development. So as you're going through high school, you're, you're playing the cello, you're programming on the side, you're, you're, you're doing the farming. What are you thinking as you're getting through high school, what you're going to do after? Is, is computer science on that list? I think by the end of high school it was. Um, I took just one AP class in high school and it was a computer programming class. And um, so I figured I might as well go into it because it's something that I knew. I didn't know what else w was really interesting to me at the time. What, but you felt like pressured you had to go to university? Was that, there was no choice? Cause I'm getting a sense from you like, yeah, I went to university. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I, I did computers. I think I knew I wanted a college degree. Um, I think I knew that was important and my older siblings had all gotten degrees and so I wanted to get one too. So yeah. How many siblings do you have? Are they much older than you or are you all living in the house at the same time? Uh, no. Yeah. I don't remember living with my siblings. They're all older than me. There are three of them. So you didn't have to compete for computer time or anything like that? No, it was that versus chores mostly. Would there have been another subject for you going into university if it wasn't mm. computers? Did you even think about getting into maybe agricultural level education and things? Or you, you knew that and that was it? No, I don't think, I mean, if I wanted to just, just work the farm, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. Um, I knew what I needed to know for the most part. In hindsight, I probably would have gone back and studied something else, maybe like medical or uh, something that more directly relates to like other people than computer science. Um, but in, I mean, I don't regret it. I just, maybe I would have had other interests now in hindsight. I feel now this is almost like the second time you're kind of bringing up that desire to do something with that connection uh, with people or animals or you're not, do you feel like, I mean, I know we just went through a couple bad years of really being isolated, but do you feel like you don't get enough of that when you're on a team or, or collaborating with people? That's a good question. I have worked with teams before and it's fine. I do think I want to be like influencing and like helping people uh, maybe more directly sometimes, but, or working with living things. Um, I think taking care of the world around me is a beautiful thing. So whether that's animals or I don't know, right now I'm planning to plant a garden. So that might satiate my desire there. <laughs> I want to get back to this in a little bit, but I want to I want to just kind of keep going here. So obviously you graduate high school at this point. What what university did you end up choosing to go to? Did you stay local in Iowa? Did you? No, Iowa had too many party schools. Uh, so I ended up going to Brigham Young University in here in Utah. And that's what got you to Utah, going going to BYU. Yep, and then the mountains kept me here. <laughs> Afterwards. Nice. Okay, so you went into BYU with the idea of that traditional computer science degree, right? Mm -hmm. Which you ended up getting. What, what was that degree what you thought it was going to be kind of going into it? Do you feel like that degree really has prepared you? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in your thoughts about your experience at BYU. and. Yeah, I mean, the degree, I think for the most part, I knew it involved programming. Um, there were a few classes that kind of surprised me or like, I questioned the relevancy, at least for what I wanted to do, but then I would take, take a step back and realize, oh, I can see how this has some value. So if you want to be a theoretical computer science, that's great. 
Um, my program offered a kind of a mix of both practical and theoretical classes. And I, and I remember studying the theory and it's like kind of useful to know. Um, I didn't really love drawing state machines and automaton and like, I don't know, <laughs> just, I would have rather been learning. I think I preferred the more practical side of things, but I think understanding the fundamental theory was super helpful. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like the most rigorous program. It's no MIT, but it's also, it was not an easy program for sure. It was definitely challenging, definitely stretched me. And it's also, you have some liberal arts involved in that too, right? So were there other subjects that you enjoyed? Um, at BYU, they require you to take religion classes. And I actually really enjoyed all of my religion classes. Um, I, I did enjoy um, some of my electives. I actually enjoyed learning about like contemporary history. I thought it was really interesting to see how decisions of people and nations uh, led to their rise or their downfall. Um, so that was really cool. And yeah, I don't know. Well, those were like more the were those like I always enjoyed the theological sort of lessons too. Uh, I got through my church. I, I just find it fascinating how technical the Bible can be at times, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is it's like amazing, right? Did you ever think you were going to maybe pursue some other? Because when I went through university, I mean, I was there for computer science, but you fall in love with a class or two sometimes and you start to think maybe maybe i really want to do this instead uh instead of the computers so did it, did any of that start to make i don't think so i mean i think i enjoyed some aspects of for example physics or some other hard science um i didn't really care for my literature classes i could definitely do without being forced to read stuff I enjoy reading, but being forced takes the fun out. I think computer science is probably the best fit for me, especially at the time. Now, you said in the beginning that you started work on Caddy while you were doing while you were in this in university. So, what is it that gets you to start? First of all, how do you find Go at BYU? And then, what gets you to start thinking about building this product? Yeah. So when I okay, so when I went to university, I started working actually for a company that my brother-in-law worked at and he kind of part owned and uh, it did like address verification and other like address data stuff. And I did that for a year, took a break from college, went on a two-year church mission, service mission. And then when I came back, uh, I was, my brother-in-law had, had kind of spun off the company to do his own thing and took part of the company with him. The, the part of it that didn't make money actually. <laughs> and and I remember working with him and like two other people, we ended up making this company profitable by building out API services for address verification. And uh, it became wildly po uh, popular and successful. And I, during the early years, so 2000, sort of in 2012-ish, we started looking into Go seriously, switching from like a PHP and .NET stack to Go. Okay, but, but right now we're still talking about 2005, 2000. Oh, this is 2011. Remember, I'm, in, I'm starting college now, so or I'm like in, in my undergraduate degree now. When did you graduate high school again? I thought you said 2000. 2008. Oh, okay. I'm off by four years. Okay, 2008. So it took two years off for, yeah. And then it's so about 2011, I got rehired um, there. And then 2012 or thir 2012, we started looking into Go seriously. And so... Because uh, what I had been writing for them was in PHP, 
And so in JavaScript, so we changed that to, to Go. So that was back when Go was pretty new. I think Go 1.0 had just come out, maybe 1.1. And so I've been writing Go since about 1.1, the 1.1 days, 1.2. So let me step you back, right? Because you're starting, you're starting university then in like 2008. When do you, do you do a year university and then go on your mission? Or are you yeah, two years at in? at the time that was pretty typical. That was, you do one year and then you go out for two years. Where did you go? Where did you end up going for your mission? Uh, I went to Las Vegas. Yeah, so because on the missions you go with a group, right? You go with a group of people and... Typically, yeah. They kind of rotate you who you, who you serve with as you're there. But And I, the people there were awesome. You know, I really loved the experience, but it was too hot and dry <laughs> for my liking. <laughs> so then you, do, you did your two years there in Vegas, and then you come back to BYU, and then you finish your, your next three years of university, right? Yeah, although I took a little more time than that because I, I worked some semesters. And... So they gave you a lot of flexibility to kind of start and stop that undergraduate degree. Yeah, that's, BYU is really accommodating for that. So then in, in this between, then you're, you're, you're working with your brother in your brother's company building these APIs. And it makes sense you went with PHP to begin with because that's what you knew. That's what I knew, yep. Did you feel like, did you, get, did you want to get off the PHP because you felt like it wasn't, there was something missing there or you just, you, it was time to learn something new? Um, kind of both. PHP uh, wasn't able to do what we needed to do. I mean, wrong tool for the job kind of thing, but what was the right tool for the job? That was the question. Like we couldn't maintain a lot of state in memory between requests. We'd have to like put it to a file or a database and that's really inefficient. And then there you have locking, like really expensive synchronization. And it was kind of slow. It was, it couldn't, it couldn't handle a lot of load or traffic as well. And so, so we needed something new, robust, lightweight, and yeah, ended up switching everything to, to go developed. So I developed this company. So the company I worked for is uh, Smarty Streets. And so I, I wrote their initial address autocomplete API and their address extraction API. Um, and I wrote the autocomplete API. That was my first real production project in Go. And the extract API was a PHP project for a while, for, for a couple of years after that, because that one was more involved. But now everything there is Go. Did you look at any other languages or looked at Ruby or looked at Python or looked at Erlang? Like Yeah, mostly my brother-in-law did that research. Um, again, I had been out of the, the scene for two years, so I didn't really know it was popular. So he came to you and said, we're doing Go. This was more his decision than... Yeah, they were, they had kind of decided on Go about the time I got back, yeah. All right, and again, this is like 2012, 2012. Okay, perfect, perfect. So there it is. You're now, you're now actually building production level. Go's at 2012, you're probably at like version 1.2. Yeah, I think I wrote the autocomplete API in a couple of months and we deployed a kind of a beta to production. And I mean, it was... Terrible Go code is my first, you know, like no one knew what they were doing in Go back then either. Like, uh, but it worked. It was fast. It was efficient. How did you deploy that, right? You just deployed the single binary on a, on a Linode machine or something? I remember we put <laughs> it on a little EC2 instance. And in fact, we loaded the whole index into memory, the address index. And in order to, we actually, in order to save memory, we use a 32-bit system instead of 64 because the pointers are half the size and our data structure uses a lot of pointers. 
I remember doing that little trick. So that was fun. I really enjoyed Go's Go development, Go's memory model and data structures. It must have been mind-blowing too at the time how much simpler it was to deploy that as opposed yeah, to awesome. what's been. <laughs> I was definitely naive about a lot of things, but it was it was cool. Nice. Okay, so you're you're working on these these services, you're building all the stuff in Go, you're still in your undergraduate degree, you're, you're solving these problems. So let's get now to where where does the the problem that Caddy solves start to kind of creep up here at Smarty Streets. So between Smarty Streets and schooling and my own personal projects, I needed to build like a lot of little web pages and and just kind of run a bunch of different random sites. And I was kind of bothered by configuring existing web servers like Apache and Nginx and stuff. And uh, and so I, I ended up writing a new web server. I was like, you know, Go Go has this nice standard library. And this, this was about 20, yeah, about 2014. And uh, I remember walking, I was in a networking class at the time uh, with Dr. Zapala. And so I was learning about a lot of network protocols and things like that and, and servers and applications. And I remember we had a group project and I was paired up with a friend of mine named uh, Nate McMaster, who, who ended up, he later went on to work at Microsoft. Well, I got rejected from Microsoft. Uh, and I think he's still there. He works actually, I think he works on, um, uh, what's that .NET web server called? I mean, I remember IIS being their server, but I don't know what's, what's yeah, out there that's today. Like the leg, yeah, like the legacy Windows one. What's it called? I feel dumb. He, I, I'm kicking myself for forgetting. Anyway, he works on that. But um, I remember we were walking home one day from class and told him, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to build a web server in Go. And, and so I started working on that about then. And it was the whole idea was that I could just run a command and just have it serve my current directory, like the files out of it, just so I could work on little dumb little static sites um, really easily. But I needed a little bit of configuration power. And so that was where the caddy file came in. I was like, well, it'd be nice if I could just make a file that I just said what the name of the site was, like the address of the site, and then just hit enter and then just type like each feature or that I need the site to have you know, one per line, just something really simple. And so that was kind of how the caddy file started. And But your initial design, was your initial design just one caddy instance per website and you could just run that on different interfaces? Yeah, I think the really early design it was. And then it was easy enough to just, oh, I need to serve a couple of sites. Let me just wrap these in curly braces. And so we still have that today. Right, so under that one IP address, I could because of the name of the domain, you can route all that. And I can literally install Caddy and point it to a directory and say, serve that up when it's requested. Yeah, it's yeah easy. Zero config a lot of the time. And then, and, and you were doing that just because Nginx and the rest of them were, you just felt they were just... So how long did it take you to get that first working prototype? And then when did you... Do you remember like the first time you actually used it in a, even if it's personal, in a production environment? Um, probably like a few days, maybe a week. Remember, I was in school and I had like four, 400 level CS classes at the time. It was really busy, but yeah, a couple, couple days a week. But still, I mean, when you think back on how quickly you built that, it's still kind of mind blowing, right? Like, yeah. did you think it was going to be that, that quick when you, when you got into it? No, even building Caddy 2, which took 
only about a year, maybe a little over a year. I'm still amazed that that went so quick. So, but Caddy's much more now than just serving up uh, content over the web, right? I mean, you're now a full-fledged ingress, egress, load balancing. I mean, what are all the things that Caddy can do at this point? Uh, <laughs> where to start? And you have a plugin environment, right? You can you can plug in. Yeah, so I don't I don't even like I mean I say Caddy's a web server because that's what most people use it as, but at its core, it's just um, kind of a, a plugin system. Like it's a plugin system basically. All it knows how to do at its core is start and stop modules or apps of some sort. Like uh, one such module is the HTTP server, and so it starts that when it when it runs, and then it stops that when it exits or when you reload the config. So it's like at its core, it manages configuration and runs plugins. That's about it. But you were one of the first ones I remember handling the, was it Lens, Let's, Let's Encrypt, the ability to download those certs. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious where all that kind of came from. So is that that's when you're in graduate school or is that still part of? I was still undergrad. Tell me that story. Like you woke up one morning, saw, saw an article, about being able to do this and you were like, okay, we're, we're going to be the first. Yeah, this is cool. So this is um, shortly after I launched Caddy, which was somewhat popular at launch. It's like, oh, cool. Like a new server in this space. Like it's been a while kind of thing. And, and so people started using it and, and I had heard, so I had also started deploying Caddy into production at about that time, um, but still had the very typical manual process of getting an, a, SSL certificate by, um, you know, clicking on a link in an email and paying $10 a year for it or 12 or whatever it was and having to, to renew that. And I remember hearing about Let's Encrypt and how they were finally like automating this process. So, okay. Yeah, this is, this is a kind of a cool story. And this goes back to that book I told you about earlier and a couple other little things that I don't know if I mentioned, but I had been reached out to by, I think it was Richard Barnes who sent me a message because I had said on the Caddy website that future Let's Encrypt integration was coming. And so he reached out to me and as kind of a contact, he was working with Let's Encrypt at the time, um, saying, you know, happy to see this. Let me know if you need help or whatever. And, and so I think having that communication with Let's Encrypt early on was helpful, but I didn't, I don't know if I realized at the time, the significance of what I had attempted to undertake here because Caddy would be the first web server or first application really to integrate the Acme protocol directly, like rather than building an external tool that you then have to like wire up to your existing legacy infrastructure. Um, this is the first tool or primary tooling that like directly integrated and automated certificate management. Still even that's pretty, pretty significant. And so, um, but I don't think I realized that at the time. So when Let's Encrypt went into public beta in 2015, uh, toward the end there, about six months later, Caddy had a working Acme integration through a project called Lego um, by a, another contributor who implemented that integration in Go, in pure Go, which I believe was also the first pure Go implementation of the Acme protocol, at least on the client side. And I remember when it first went into public beta, I, I got one of the early invites and I was able to test it. And I remember I did a screen recording of the first time, or at least a screenshot of the first time Caddy would, I started it and zero configuration. And I watched it get a certificate in just a few seconds. Um, and it was a test certificate, of course, because 
Let's Encrypt wasn't quite publicly trusted yet, but it worked the first time. And it was really amazing to see that in just a couple seconds, my site was served over HTTPS. And uh, in, in theory, I hadn't tested this yet, but would keep the certificate renewed as well. I think that was actually a really profound moment, realizing that, oh, we can have secure services on the internet that we don't need to configure and, and manage and renew or like manually, you know, and, and that was, and we can integrate this directly into our services. Like this can be so easy, so robust, so reliable. Um, the error management logic and handling logic can be so good and, and mature, you know, like in time, like that was kind of the vision. And I think we've, we've obtained that, that goal for the most part. And you still see a lot of people deploying these external separate tooling to like hook into what they have, but they have more moving parts now and there's more to manage. There's more that can go wrong. There's less intelligent error handling and less, it's not as robust, it's more brittle overall. And so, and that's been proven out time and time again now after years of, of seeing all of this in production, but, but at the time that was really cool. And, and so I remember uh, a little while later, Let's Encrypt had a little kind of a, a party to, to celebrate the, um, the, the launch of Let's Encrypt. And, and so I went to that and there I had met some of the, of course, the founding team members of the project, including the researchers and stuff. And while I was there, I, I met uh, someone whose name sounded familiar to me. And uh, it was Laura Thompson. And I was like, I don't suppose, are, do you write books? <laughs> and she said that she had, she had written a few. I was like, did you, did you write one called with Luke Welling called PHP and MySQL Web Development? And she said, yes. So it turns out this was the, one of the authors of the book who had really gotten me into web development in the first place more than a decade earlier, um, maybe 15 years earlier. And I thought that was really cool, like a really small world. Yeah, for and sure. And it came full circle. And also at that party was one of the, the lead researchers who initially, his team initially developed the ACME protocol. I, I went back and I looked up his name because it sounded familiar to me at the time. And it turns out that I had read one of his research papers when I was in high school that got me really interested in computer security in the first place. It was a, a cold boot attack on, on memory. It was like the idea that you could reboot a computer and if you like freeze the RAM, you can preserve the encryption keys uh, for a prolonged amount of time so that you can, oh yeah, that's right, Halderman, J. Alex Halderman. And a, part of, a significant part of his team ended up working with Let's Encrypt you know, later in EFF and such. But I had no idea, like in high school, I thought this was cool because I had replicated, I, I took their research paper and like replicated their results. I was able to run their little program to extract these encryption keys from my own computer's memory um, after, uh, even after a reboot. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And that kind of got me interested in computer security. And then to come years later and, and like meet these people who had developed this research um, and then to be integrating software with what they had made and for everyone to be there in this little like random party it was just kind of a fun experience yeah i mean hindsight but i do remember that 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 is what was really allowing caddy to stand out at the time yeah that was magical like you 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 just run the server and then a couple seconds later boom all the https is done i know at least a handful of times in my life 
my web servers stopped serving pages because we we didn't update the you know the um, certificates quick enough or we totally forgot about it or you know emails get lost right and then it almost just seems like common sense why why did it take this long for something like that to be available because it was a horrible process prior to this i mean there are reasons it took a while there's very little incentive. I mean, there's a reason Let's Encrypt is a nonprofit organization. Um, but yeah, I think the whole SSL certs thing, it always appealed to like enterprises. And so there was a lot of red tape there and um, kind of more legacy processes and stuff. And they're super expensive, right? I mean, they basically got rid of a, a marketplace. I remember spending thousands of dollars on a cert. I mean, some companies still do, like CAs are still in business and that's fine. They offer services on top of that, usually enterprise specific support services and such. But um, if your only thing is to like obtain and use a certificate, you don't need to pay for that. And they're just as good, uh, if not better in some ways than the paid certificates. I mean, they're generating the search, right? They're the authority on those certs at the end of the day. They're not using some third party. I think also the, the Snowden leaks in 2013 really accelerated this development because we realized then, oh, man, we need to encrypt everything on the internet. So I think the movements finally started to happen then. Well, I know you pushed that a lot um, early on too. You were, you were really speaking about why is anybody serving anything that isn't encrypted at this point? Yeah, that's still a question I have. Talk to me real briefly, because you mentioned the ACME protocol, and it seems like it's a big deal protocol. I, I, I want to understand or appreciate what this protocol is and why a new protocol had to be written and, and fundamentally what it's doing. Yeah, so ACME means uh, Automated Certificate Management Environment, and it's a protocol that allows servers to, well, it allows CAs to issue certificates to uh, uh, servers uh, or client. Well, from the CA's perspective, the servers are clients. So that's confusing, but um, yeah. So it, it basically, before, you know, uh, there was no, the only, you had to, certificate authorities had to verify control over a domain, uh, a DNS name for a property by typically using some DNS value, like a record, for example, an MX record or something to send an email, and then you would get the email. And if you, obviously, if you controlled the DNS, you would control the MX record. So you could trust that whoever clicks the link in that email actually controls the domain name. And so we just needed to come up with secure ways to automate this process without human intervention. Uh, and that was a pretty significant breakthrough, I think, um, because you need it to work in multiple like different, uh, settings and network restrictions. And that's why there are different challenge types, different ways to verify that you control a domain property. Okay. Now I get it. I remember them saying, add this to your DNS and then hit this button and we'll see if it's there. And if it's there, life is good. Oh, I, yeah. I remember having to. So what are, what are some of the thing, high level semantics, right? That they're doing to, to check that I own that domain. Yeah. So high level, there are three ways to do that with the Acme protocol. There are similar ways to do this without Acme, but they're all the same basic idea. Do you control the DNS? So, uh, one way to do it is the, um, HTTP challenge, which is basically 
the certificate authority will do a DNS lookup for an A record or a quadruple A record, and then it will make an HTTP request um, after resolving that domain name to uh, see if it can get a, a particular HTTP response, basically a file or a, a special cryptographic value. So the, ser the web server will contact the CA and say, hey, I need a certificate for such and such name. CA will say, okay, here's some cryptographic, here's a token. And the web server will place that as an HTTP resource at a special location. And the CA will then do the DNS lookup, contact your server, request that resource. And if it gets the expected value, it, then that must mean you control the, the DNS because your server that resolved at that address at that DNS record was able to provide this special unique value. So that's the HTTP challenge. That's on port 80. That's unencrypted. That requires port 80. You can't change that. Um, and that's sufficient for validating only the domain name that is being requested in the certificate or the domain names. It, you can't get a wildcard certificate with that challenge as of this month, actually. It sounds like, so they're giving you a, an artifact ahead of time that your server, only your server can basically serve. Basically, and it has yeah. to be there. And, and, and that has to just be put there, I guess, one time at the beginning, and then, you're, and then life is good. Yeah, when the challenge is done, you can take it down. So it's just, it's that DNS lookup and the result of contacting the server from that DNS lookup, that's the key to, to proving control. Um, there's the TLS ALPN challenge, which is similar, but that works on port 443. It doesn't use HTTP, that, that basically does the same thing. CA does a DNS lookup, but then contacts your server on port 443 and tries to negotiate a special TLS handshake. And the TLS handshake contains a special um, token certificate. And if so, then you can prove control. And Go implements that, that challenge and handshake? Well, so the Go, Go standard library does not implement any of this. Um, there is an X library that does, but I think Cert Magic is better. Uh, so I ended up diverging from Lego about last year sometime, or yeah, about a year ago and wrote my own Acme client implementation called Acme Z that, that implements all of this. But you didn't have to implement TLS for that. You get to oh, piggyback no. so the in TLS the chain. Stack, yeah, the TLS stack is implemented by Go. But you get to inject something into that handshake? Yeah, Go has a callback function called get certificate. And you just set that and Go will call that for you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that's how Caddy does a lot of its magic. There's one more, there's the DNS challenge, which is useful if you can't open any external ports um, on your server, or if you need a wildcard certificate. That involves setting a special DNS record, uh, a text record with a special value, and then the Acme server just does a DNS lookup for that record. If it finds that correct value, then you can get your certificate. It seems like the simplest of it is, all the solutions except you have to set that DNS record. So that requires probably DNS provider, uh, like an API, and you have to configure your server with those credentials. I guess not all developers would necessarily have access to that. Is that the idea? Right. I mean, you have access to your DNS. Yeah, um, but you do need to give your server sufficient control to set and delete records on your DNS, which some people are oh. hesitant to do. 
it has to be able to, you have to auto, oh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, uh. Good, good DNS provider APIs. Cloudflare has a really good one that you can very, have a very scoped permission model, model where you can say, I'm only allowed to set records on this zone or delete, you know, on this zone. And that, that I think is sufficient generally, but some people want even more fine grained control. It's just, you have to, there's trade-offs. You just kind of have to be careful. Got you. Okay. That all makes sense to me now. But honestly, if your server environment is secure, it you should be fine to deploy your DNS credentials there. So as you're finishing your undergraduate work and you're now building this version one of Caddy, do you already have it in your head that you're going to be going to graduate school? Or, I mean, you're making money, you're working, you're, you're not like, I'm. yeah, what happens there as you finish undergraduate? Yeah, so I thought I wasn't going to go to graduate school and then I just had this kind of lightning bolt of a thought one time that I needed to go to graduate school and that that was something I should do. And so I did. Uh, I took about a year off between undergrad and graduate school. Well, I worked, but I, um, and that was, uh, I was trying to monetize the caddy project at the time and doing other contract jobs, but went back to graduate school where uh, at BYU, I was able to work there and, and they provide a stipend, that program for, and so I was able to cover my basic living expenses with a, a very modest stipend. And so that was helpful. And that was when I rewrote Caddy and made Caddy too. And this is where Arden Labs entered the picture. But did you, so I'm just curious, did, did you get what you thought you were going to get out of graduate school? What is it? Did you feel like you needed the extra education? Was there something that you wanted to learn? that you can only do in graduate school? Did you thought it would help your career? Like, I'm really curious. Yeah, so graduate school was, was actually really awesome. Difficulty-wise, in ways, it was easier than undergrad. There was a lot less busy work. It was very much more like deep dive into what you're interested in kind of thing. And so I really appreciated that. So I focused initially on machine learning. For the first year or two of graduate school, I was really deep in machine learning, really trying to learn that well and learn some good things. Trying to crank out research papers was not my favorite thing. Uh, I was really bad at it, um, but it was fun working on a lot of the projects. And the problem is that machine learning, I, I eventually came to realize just how much smoke and mirrors it really is. And I, in the field moves so quickly and is full of um, like party tricks, but very few like really useful things considering how much work is being done there. Um, so I, I didn't feel like I could keep up there in that field or produce anything particularly novel or valuable. And so I switched to computer security, uh, where I studied under Dr. Zapala to work on improving. So my thesis, was related to improving, um, like warning users of web browsers when they are at risk on the internet. So it was kind of this question, well, after all the sites moved to HTTPS, how do we keep users safe from new threats, um, that come in, in an HTTPS kind of landscape. And, and so that was, that was a neat project and I was able to graduate with that, but I think it taught me a lot of valuable, again, skills and diving deep into particular applications was really, really neat. Did any of that work in your graduate studies find its way back into Caddy? 
Um, not into Caddy, but it, uh, it did into Chrome. Well, I don't know when I was, uh, this might've been before graduate school, but there was a research paper published about detecting, it was actually also from Halderman's lab, but detecting man in the middle attacks, uh, from the server side. And so we implemented that into Caddy, which was really cool. Um, it worked decently well. Cloudflare ended up kind of doing something similar based on that implementation. My graduate thesis ended up being cited by Google Chrome for some of their new protection features. For example, if you visit a website that has an address that is similar to one you visited before, uh, or has other suspicious similarities. So like my thesis was very like uh, privacy, local based. So like you didn't need a, a centralized service. You didn't need to query some central server necessarily to get risk information or threat information. It was all computed on the client side on the browser. And it was simple methods like, is this your, like, are there properties that this site is exhibiting that when looking at your browser history or just even without that, that are suspicious? And if so, can we show the user warnings and say, hey, you might be at risk here. Like this is, this is weird. So I think the world is grateful that you're on the good side of this and not the bad side of this. <laughs> because it sounds like you could definitely fool and fish and manipulate uh, at least some older browser tech. Yeah, yeah, it's, it can be a little scary out there. Even sometimes I'm like not quite sure. I'm like, is this URL legit? So. All right, so when you're finishing graduate school, you're looking to get back into the workforce now and you want to kind of work on caddy full-time this is what you want so what were you what were you thinking what were your strategies what were your plans around doing that so yeah that was tricky there was a lot of attempts to monetize caddy during undergrad that didn't go well talk a little bit about what wasn't successful like what did you learn there that didn't work as in, as we move into eventually what did yeah. Okay. So initially, um, so I needed compensation for all of the time that it was taking because it was, I wanted to, to maintain and support it, but it just, it was cutting into my part-time job and, and other stuff and schooling. And so, so that was expensive. And so, so my first attempts were to offer what we call the sponsorship and an engineering package. Sponsorship was kind of thing where you sponsor, you, you get a link on our site, um, you know, thank you and social media, et cetera. And like basic private email support. Uh, and then the engineering package was like, you get dedicated access to caddy engineers, um, and to have features developed priority bug fixes, kind of a support plan basically for companies. Um, no one bought it, either of them. And so we ended up eventually switching to a model where we would, uh, so our website distributed like official custom caddy builds, um, using our build server. And so we got to the point where we basically, if companies wanted to use those official binaries, we licensed that differently so that like the distributed binaries were licensed a little differently so that companies were required to pay for their use of those binaries. We never changed the caddy license. It was always Apache license, open source. None of that changed. It was just commercial use of these official binaries. Um, not different from other software that has a similar model where you 
you license the uh, package or distribution of the software a little differently than the actual source code. Um, Chromium, Java, uh, VS Code all have kind of similar models if you look at those. And so that was received really negatively, which is really unfortunate. I think the community, like, I, I think for some reason, like money is like a bad word in open source and kind of taboo, but we really needed that support. And I thought this was a very fair way to do it, but, uh, the community didn't think so. And they, it kind of caused some uproars and we tried scaling that back, but we also wanted to start maybe instead accepting sponsorships again. And so I, I remember we added a sponsors header to HTTP responses for the, for the non-commercial caddy binaries so that our sponsors could have some visibility who were typically tech companies. And these headers would obviously only be seen by very targeted, like technical people who are looking at HTTP response headers. Um, otherwise, you know, they're just HTTP headers that was also hated. And, um, and so we took that out and I didn't know what to do. And I kind of just, I was actually about to give up. I was about to close down the project, take it offline. I'm like, I'm done. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? I don't need this anymore. Like it does what I need. I can just take this offline. I don't have to share this. And I almost did. I was about to pull the plug. I got a couple of phone calls from people who supported my efforts in the project. I remember getting a call from, I, I might've even talked with you about it. I, I think you might've reached out. Um, and I think Sourcegraph reached out as well, which I really appreciated and a few others just sharing their support. And so I decided ultimately, and then I talked to my brother-in-law who, who told me that would be kind of a, a mean thing to do, like mean spirited to just like take it all offline out of like aggression or like not aggression, but like bitterness, even though I felt totally justified in doing that. And I think I would have been, but he convinced me not to do it anyway. Um, and, but yeah, it was, it was really hard. Like I, all, it was really toxic negativity. And I wrote a big blog post about this on the forum and came out really firm against the, against the whole like, uh, attitude of entitlement in open source. So eventually, um, you know, the project just kind of coasted for a while and it needed, if it was going to continue, it needed to be rewritten. I knew that because issues were piling up that couldn't really be fixed with the the current design and it would take a lot of focused, like new development. I'd basically have to rewrite it. And so I decided when I was finishing grad school, well, how about I look for a company that would be interested in hiring me to work on Caddy full-time. I had heard of stuff like that happening before. And so I started reaching out to companies and asking them uh, if this is something they would like. And so I remember, so obviously Arden Labs was one I talked to and this was awesome art. Like it was a huge blessing, I think for, so I, cause in, I had reached out to all the, the major tech companies that I had some contact with just like through Twitter or email or something. And I was thinking, you know, there's all these companies that have, I mean, the, the companies are worth billions of dollars and they, I mean, there are a lot of massive amounts of teams in these companies and they, there's all sorts of budgets for things. I was like, somewhere there's got to be a fit where for a humble little open source project that actually like serves a pretty wide community and is a pretty important project uh, when you think about it not just in terms of maybe who's actually using it but in terms of what it's doing 
Oh, I did forget to mention, I think it was near the, uh, near the end of undergrad or somewhere in there, Mozilla did actually award us a, uh, an amount of money to work on Caddy and that funded about six months of de development, which was really significant. That was kind of our first like financial like success. Um, so we're really grateful for that. That definitely gave Caddy some legs. Um, and made it more self-sustainable, um, especially through that really rough patch. Uh, I, anyway, I just wanted to mention that so it doesn't get discounted or forgotten. But, uh, and so I was like, okay, well, this nonprofit Mozilla has money to contribute to this. Companies like Google or Microsoft or Amazon or, or whatever should be able to contribute. Well, they weren't interested. Um, and so I was like, huh, well, if none of the huge companies that, you know, Netflix and some other like, like CDNs, talk to some big CDNs, you know, Cloudflare, uh, Fastly or whatever, weren't interested in funding caddy development, uh, which is really a bummer. Like, especially cause I know that Cloudflare had, like I'd been in contact with a lot of Cloudflare engineers and, and Cloudflare has used the project before, um, even to base like new, uh, products off of and, and such. So. So like that was disappointing and discouraging, um, but I decided to go ahead and reach out and, and see what other kinds of companies might have a budget for this. And so I was really like pleased, I suppose, to realize that even a, a smaller firm like Arden Labs was able to, like was interested in this. I was like, okay, now you have my attention. And so through, yeah, negotiating with you and, um, and a few others, like just kind of weighing a couple options, uh, Sourcegraph actually also had offered to let me work on Caddy at Sourcegraph, and it was, it was a tough choice. There were many factors there, and ultimately, I decided to go with Arden Labs to uh, work on building Caddy too. From our side, just as people are listening to this story, we saw a product in Caddy. I believed in it. I thought that there was enough of a product there and enough of a niche and enough of a, a need that we could find a way to monetize it, right? I mean, and that's why we went ahead and we, you know, funded, funded it for at least a year, right? I think it was uh, about a year of development, maybe a little longer. I don't remember how, how many months. But even after that, we got discouraged because we couldn't find a revenue model that we thought was, we were looking at everything from getting it into a Kubernetes drop-down for your ingress server to, to features. We, we were doing research too, asking companies, what is it that, why are you not using this? What is it that you need, right? And we were, we were looking all at that too. So we started getting discouraged too. Like, I, I don't know how there isn't a revenue model for something that's this great. I don't either, because about that time, Nginx was sold for how many millions of dollars? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, so I, I don't know. But somehow in the last minute of the last hour of the last day somebody came in and and wanted wanted to help out again right so yeah so that was another miracle too i mean so th under arden's auspices i was able to rewrite caddy make caddy too um which i think the community will forever be grateful for um so again thanks bill for for making that happen um and it is a bummer you know that we couldn't like commercialize it enough in granted it was only I mean only about a year and maybe you know I understand like the constraint is real you know but it was really fortunate um 
that, yeah, we got an email that there's a company that was interested in um, basically purchasing the project, taking it off our hands in that sense, um, and continuing to fund its development full time, which I think was awesome. So Arden was able to, to recoup the investment there and, and I'm able to continue working on it. And now this company, so th this is the parent company of Zero SSL, which is another free Acme CA, is able to have this, like this asset, you know, under their, their name. So yeah, and it works out and you get to work on it full time every day and uh, you get to keep improving it and everybody wins, right? It's, all, yeah. it's like a, an open source sort of victory. Yeah, it was definitely a victory. I, I don't want to get anyone like, like, I don't want anyone's mouths to water here because this was not like, this wasn't like a home run. This, <laughs> you know, it definitely was barely covered our investment. And, you know, and that, that, and actually part of the condition was I wouldn't, you know, sell this unless there was a development stipend to continue working on it for a while because, yeah, it was not even near the order of Nginx, missing a few zeros there. Um, but, which is fine, honestly, like it, it met our needs and I think it serves the community well. And Caddy's come a long way since Arden and, and, uh, Zero SSL have been involved. Yeah. When I say victory, I don't mean like we're uh, all retiring because it wasn't <laughs> yeah, that kind of, it definitely. was that you got to, which was the big part of the entire deal we cut. You got to have a long-term sort of strategy and working on this every you, you got to make this your day job at the end and that was the big 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 thing that we wanted to make sure that was in place that you got to make it your day job and and arden gets to be the the like the enterprise support branch of the project so yeah the job security was appealing and important as i'm looking at like settling down and starting a family here soon so so I definitely am. So now, as of now, the project relies primarily on sponsorships, the executive sponsors, Zero SSL, and then those on GitHub sponsors. So companies that sponsor, you'll notice I don't have like $2 a month tiers or $5 a month tiers. Those just aren't sustainable. So I'm really looking at companies who can sponsor at the, you know, was it $250, $500 a month tiers or higher? Um, I think that's really where like noticeable sustainability comes in. And it's still i mean i don't know what the nginx licensing looks like i don't know if that's everybody gets to use that for free but this project to me is so important caddy is such an important product in the go ecosystem that that's why we were compelled to find a way to try to help right we're business too we were looking for ways to make money <laughs> let's i mean it's not all charity but i just felt like it was such an important project for the go ecosystem that it needed to it needs to be supported not needed it still continues to need i mean if your company is using this product in any way it, it should find a way to kind of support its existence and its ongoing development yeah and that i think is really important i remember when 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 you actually came in you visited utah we sat down at a at a go meetup here and you were like look we we got to stop the whole commercial license thing like let's switch gears here and make it all open source so that announcement was really popular <laughs> i remember the thousands of reactions on github and over social media um that were very much like we're dropping all the proprietary stuff all the enterprise only stuff in terms of features and code um and just making it all open source and then and then we like because caddy's big its strongest point is when it's like deployed and in use and as companies rely on it, then they'll they'll rely on it more. They'll need support. They'll um, 
I think that that's a pretty good model. They'll sponsor the project. Uh, and I felt really good about that ever since that day. I think it's really important, even with all the training materials that I do, right? I didn't write a book for it to sit on the shelf and not be used. It, it has to be out there. And the people that are benefiting, benefiting from it, I've experienced for the most part, will do what they can to support it. Everybody's different. And so that was the idea, get it into the shops, because once you put a, a restricted license on it, there are shops that just can't even touch it. But once it's in and people are using it, and sometimes it takes a year to prove that it's adding value, I, I do believe that people will support the things that are making their lives better. Now, you might have to remind everybody every once in a while, hey, we're here and we could use the support, yeah. <laughs> right? We do have to do that um, once in a while. You have to, and it's okay. I think it's fair because you're not saying you can't use it. You're just saying if it's adding value, um, we would appreciate any, and it's financial support, so we can do this day in and day out and be there for you, right? Yeah, and it is important to get new sponsors because I know you can look at the project and think, oh, well, you're working on it full time. You're good. Great. I don't need to do anything. And like, well, sponsors come and go. Like they'll occasionally drop off or reduce their sponsorships for whatever reasons, businesses hit hard times or are reallocating things or other complicated reasons. So we always need new sponsors. It's, it's really great to get an email like, hey, we are deploying Caddy. We're serving 10,000 customer sites with Caddy and they all have their own HTTPS certificate. We love it. We're starting to sponsor you. Maybe we'll ramp it up next, you know, next year. Um, that like that literally keeps the project alive. Um, and so if your business is relying on this, definitely need to sponsor <laughs> um, and or get a support plan, an enterprise support plan, if that's a better fit for your company. Um, because uh, yeah, we, we definitely need that. And also like, I'm happy to cater a little bit, like depending on your tier, like higher sponsorship tiers, like I can help you out privately via email. You know, that's something a lot of people on our forums won't post enough details or want to talk privately because, you know, things are in public. I can't afford to help people in public or in private for free. Um, I can in public occasionally, but, but not in private. And so a sponsorship or a support plan will, you know, give you those perks as well. And this goes beyond caddy. I think if you're using any sort of, we at Arden also support the static check linter, support Dominic out there. Cause Oh yeah, that's a great project. I, I'm using that almost every day. Like, and he's spending his time on it. He he deserves, you know. And it's not about one person coming in and funding it all. It's everybody gives that hundred bucks a month or whatever it is. Then we all contribute to to supporting it. And so, this what we're saying even goes beyond Caddy. If there's open source that you're using and it's being actively maintained. Um, you know, you should find a way, even if it's just $10 a month, it doesn't matter what the number is. It's you saying, this is what I can give right now. And I'm going to support that. And it's a numbers game, right? So, but even at Arden, if you have open source and we think there's a product there, we think there's a product that can be monetized. We want to, we want to hear it. We want to see it. We want to try to figure it out. We've got a business machine at Arden, right? We, we have an engine, you know, behind all the development to do these types of things. But it's hard to find a product. Caddy, to me, is is a product at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. It's also, it's great to, it's fun to use, you know. I've only heard really positive things from everybody when they when they first bring it in and install it and it just 
starts and it runs and everybody's like, whoa, this thing just worked. Are you sure this is right? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard complaints too. Usually they're resolved really easily in the documentation or they're like network misconfigurations or DNS misconfigurations. But but yeah, Caddy itself is is pretty easy to use. It's pretty much a joy to use. So a couple more questions here as we, as we wrap up. Um, what is on your kind of future roadmap right now for Caddy? Let's say going into, we're almost done this year. So what would you like to see Caddy be able to do next by the end of next year that it's not doing right now? Uh, I mean, at this point, it could do anything with, you know, it's a new plugin module system. One thing I want to work on, I, I have started to work on it, but I'm finding it's very difficult to make progress on this is a uh, kind of a management UI for the website. You can log in and manage your caddy instances from the site. Um, you can configure them, you can view logs maybe, you can test new changes and stuff and sync configurations. Uh, all of that sounds really useful and I know we've had a lot of requests for that. I think that'll be great for companies that you know have teams who, who need to manage things a little more vi visually and more administratively, I suppose, than like everything on the command line with a bunch of custom scripts and things. Problem there th with that is that, one, it's a lot of work. Caddy, I think now, as of the latest 2.4 supports, I think it supports the, like it has the features needed to support this, but um, keeping the bug reports and feature requests, like definitely keeping the open source project and the community going and um, so that I'm responding or that someone is responding to issues and, and merging pull requests and stuff. Um, that takes a lot of time. So working on like, and also front end is especially modern front end isn't my strength. Like I still, I still use like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, maybe jQuery, uh, <laughs> you know, to build like a web page. So if I'm going to build something that very like advanced that has charts and graphs and interactive stuff, I can do it. I've done it before, but it won't be like all fancy and like using all these compiled frameworks and tools unless I learn how to do that, which takes time. So I was able to rewrite Caddy 2 in as little time as a year because I stopped everything. I was I was like, okay, Caddy 1 is going away. Caddy 2 is going to replace it. So just stopping everything and, and working on Caddy 2. Can't do that with this project. So, But it's an open source project. And people come to me all the time saying, Bill, I want to work on some open source to improve my skills. Is, is Caddy a good project to help improve your Go skills on? And how much, how much kind of mentoring, I'll use that word, do, could you apply to a PR if somebody's, and how should somebody do that? Is there already a list of things or should they ask you first before they do anything? Good question. The, so the Caddy project is not simple in terms of its code base. Like I would recommend reading about its architecture looking at the files so you can like tangibly make sense of it. We, it's, it's not complicated, but you do have to know kind of how it works. Um, you have to understand how the module system works or whatever. You have to understand how to run it and change it and test it. So like you have to know that for Go code too, right? Like you have to know how to kind of fork a project, run your fork, um, write tests or run like test things out. So why are we not writing video? Why are we not putting videos together for that? How nice would it be to have a set of... We could do that. I've, I've started live streaming a few of my like work sessions where I tackle issues or community questions or whatever, and even some coding. Maybe I got to fly to Utah 
sit down for a few days, map oh, out some videos. <laughs> oh, I, I find it's really nice to sit next to when, it, when you're dealing with something. Look, I, I, you know, even through the pandemic, I had a client in Boston and I said, I, we have to meet for two days. We got more done in two days sitting next to each other than we ever did over Zoom. I, I, I get it all, but I don't know. There's still something about just two or three days together could last three months, you know? That's true. I can see that. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we could talk about that. I, we have issues tagged uh, good first issue or help wanted. Um, would recommend if you want to get started looking at some of those. Um, definitely like let us iterate on your contributions in a pull request. It's okay if it goes through several reviews. And sometimes if it's not an, like smaller pull requests are better. Sometimes I kind of sit on larger ones for a while while I kind of think about it or have to find time and like really devote some time into that. But um, yeah, we would definitely love contributions. We have a contributing guide that shows you the basics of how to start hacking on Caddy. So last kind of question here as we close up. In the beginning of, of our talk, you really, I, I could sense this desire to be doing something that had a more human connection with either nature or with, with other people. And you're kind of not there right now with Caddy, right? And I imagine at some point, I don't know, I'm not saying like the next thing you do or when that is, but I have to imagine that you're going to have to scratch that itch at some point, right? With whatever tech you're building. Yeah, I've thought about it. I um, One thing that I would like to do is uh, I think I could use my skills to build a project that would allow my family to better kind of uh, our organize and archive our history and our stories, our individual stories and our collective story. So that's something that's kind of been on my mind lately, this idea of being able to document our lives uh, for others and, and our future, like our posterity or something, um, basically extracting all our information from our accounts on Facebook and Twitter and other social media, our emails, our, um, our location history, maybe, you know, from our phones. Um, and putting that all into a, a timeline, a singular timeline that is hosted on our own computers. And, and so I actually have this uh, kind of a prototype already on GitHub for this called Timeliner. And so I want to expand that idea. And I think that could be really cool for um, connecting our family and helping us see. I think see it's another thing. product, Matt. I think people would pay to have that data. Here's my other secret. I probably won't be doing huge like open source projects anymore because Caddy's keeping me busy enough as an open source project and software is enough work that I think I'm just going to sell it <laughs> in the future. I think all that's fair, but I love the idea. So when you're ready to go forward, talk to me first. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you. Ben. I love that idea. I love that idea. Okay. We are out of time. So Matt, I, I cannot uh, thank you enough for spending the last hour plus with us here in the podcast. Can you give people briefly how uh, Give them information how they could reach out to you if they're listening to this, um, if they have any questions. What's the best way to talk to you? Yeah, um, hit me up on Twitter at uh, mholt6. Um, you can also post in, on the Caddy forums if it's about Caddy, caddy.community. Um, or you can post on our GitHub if you have issues or feature requests. Probably Twitter is a good place, though, to, to start. Perfect. We'll get all that in the show notes and all the other 
things we talked about. So thank you, Matt. So this is Bill Kennedy and Matt Holt with the Art Labs podcast. Thank you for joining us and hope to see you again real soon.